Welcome to the OKC First podcast. Together, we're learning to do three things. Friendship with God. Friendship with one another. And open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Today's scripture comes from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, so that you may be able to withstand on that evil day, and having done everything, to stand firm. Stand therefore, and fasten the belt of truth around your waist, and put on the breastplate of righteousness. As shoes for your feet, put on whatever will make you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. With all of these, take the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all of the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times, in every prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert and always persevere in supplication for all the saints. Pray also for me, so that when I speak, a message may be given to me to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it boldly as I must speak. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Amber. Thank you, Tamara, everybody. Again, my name is John Middendorf. It is my great honor to pastor this great church and to be a part of this community of faith. As a parishioner, as much as I am uh, a pastor, and I do recognize that there is a real chance that there are people who are with us for the first time. And if you were with us for the first time, um, let, me, let me introduce myself as a preacher to you a little bit. Uh, I I'm not a guy who likes to talk a whole lot about demons and devil stuff. That kind of weirds me out a little bit, and I don't think it's productive. It's not that I don't believe in evil. I absolutely believe in evil. There is a verse that Amber just read really well, and it goes something like this, and we'll come back to it, but I think in order to give all of us ears to hear this passage, I think I need to talk a little bit about what I think is going on here, and then play a little silly video to help us kind of see what's going on here. Here's this verse. Our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh. Now, that's a tough one, isn't it? Because we all have folks that we don't like, amen? Oh, I thought that was just me, okay. But our struggle is not against enemies of flesh and blood. Let me, let me say this up front. Again, if you're new here, hear this. This is a peace-loving people, a peace-making people. We do not embody our Christian faith by battling people in, with flesh and blood. That's just not the way that we do it. But our struggle is against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. 
Well, what in the world can that be about? Well, let me, let me play a, a video that I think kind of captures this. Now, if you know me at all, you know that I have a least favorite marketing campaign, a least favorite uh, run of commercials. I hate, with everything that's in me, I hate those Las Vegas commercials. They bother me to no end. Can I tell you why they bother me to no end? Because of that phrase. And the phrase at the end of those commercials that's normally printed on the screen is what? What happens in Vegas? Oh, I hate it. I hate it because in, in, inevitably and invariably in all of these commercials, there is some sort of damage done to probably a marriage covenant. That's what it looks like. Most of the commercials have to do with something that is done under cover of darkness there in Las Vegas. And they come back, they have to kind of face the music or they have to work really hard to make sure that the truth is not known. Now here's what I'm saying to you. When we talk about these cosmic powers against this present darkness, here's what I'm saying to you. There is something in the air in Las Vegas. Now it doesn't have to be the case, I understand that. Some of you still like to take your trips to Las Vegas and I'm pretty sure you don't go out there and commit adultery. Thank you very much for not going out there and committing adultery. But there is, at least within this marketing campaign, this assumption that you're going to do something that you shouldn't do, that, that people, if they knew that you were doing it, would cause you to get in some trouble, something that would do damage to your covenants and to your commitments, to your promises, and there is something about Las Vegas, there's something in the air that seems to not only encourage it, but protect it. Something in the air. That something that is in the air that kind of pushes people that direction where they do, do things that they would never do otherwise, that something that's in the air, that's what I'm talking about by cosmic powers, this present darkness, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. When you can kind of feel it, that you're being pushed, perhaps morally speaking, pushed to be someone that you would not be otherwise. When the definitions of success that operate in a particular place are so contrary to the definitions of success that operate in the life and in the household of a person of faith, and yet you still feel yourself pushed that direction, when you are pushed in a place that is contrary to the person of Christ, when you are pushed by your circumstances in a particular place, let's say, to be something other than Christ, to do something other than what Christ would do, that's what I'm talking about. Baby, that was Vegas. Oh my gosh, so much fun. Yeah? Yeah, I have pictures. Is that a sketchbook? Yeah, finally putting my art major to use. There's the pool, the club, it's the after party. Selfie! I have so many selfies in here. Yeah. Oh, shopping. Oh, she's gonna hate that picture. She looks terrible. If you're the wife, what is it that you don't want him to know? If you're the husband, it'll be tough to sleep. But <laughs> it's encouraged by this entire marketing campaign. It's all good. Don't take pictures, just draw sketches. There's another one, and I almost showed it to you. I decided not to last second because I think I'm getting older and smarter. 
There's another one, and it's sort of, in, it's sort of subtitled, Know the Code. And here's what happens. Somebody goes and has a great time doing whatever it is that they're doing in Las Vegas, and then they post pictures to the internet. And everywhere this person goes who has posted these pictures to the internet, everywhere this person goes, everybody else in Las Vegas walks away. They want nothing to do with her. They are not only trying to protect themselves from her, but they are actively angry at her. And first it's just like the pool, and next it's like a dinner party, and next it's a larger bar, and then she's walking into this courtyard, and she walks out into this courtyard that's full of people, and everybody is scattering as if she's got the plague somehow. They're all scattering. And you can finally hear her saying, okay, I'm sorry, I won't post any more pictures. I won't do it. And then across the bottom it says, know the code. Oh, so there's a code. There's a code. There's a code that says, not only will we encourage you to do these things while you're here that will be detrimental to your covenants and your promises, but there is a code to protect you doing it. It's evil. Again, if you're new, one of the things that you'll pick up on here if you stay long enough, you'll pick up on that I desperately love these people. And, and, I'm willing to say, if sitting here with us today, if I have described your experience in Las Vegas, you do not get it yet. If you feel like you can go to Las Vegas and you can, under cover of darkness, because it seems like everybody knows the code, if you can go out there and do things that you would not do in front of your children or in front of your spouse or in front of your pastor, you don't get it yet. And whatever it is that shoves you that direction, is what we're talking about, me and Paul, when we talk about the cosmic forces that push and pull you, push and pull you, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. John, will you please get to the sermon? <laughs> we have had a lot of fun. In fact, this is the eighth and final week that we will be in the book of Ephesians. I have really come to really admire and love the book of Ephesians. It is now my second favorite book, second only to the book of? Yeah, I like Revelation a lot. But I like Ephesians for some of the same reasons. Because what you have in both of these books, Revelation and Ephesians, what you have is this deep testimony that says something like this. God has won, is winning, and will win. Right? God has won. You can see that in the cross and the resurrection. God is winning. If you have the eyes to see it, you can see it everywhere. And God will win. We live in hopes and in anticipation that God will finally win. Well, what does win mean? Win means that God will finally remarry heaven and earth and flood all of creation, flood the earth with the presence of God. Flood, flood, flood. In fact, I've even used this terminology of flood, and so have the other people who have preached, and thank you, Aaron and Britt, for continuing, continuing the terminology of flood here, because I think it helps us. You know, floods can be hugely catastrophic sorts of things, right? You can have so much flood water that it can actually touch and reorganize everything in existence, and in a good sort of way, that's what we believe is coming where the presence of God is concerned, that there will be such a huge, huge flood that someday it will reorganize everything in existence. And so we say this. Now I know, I know that where you're standing 
It feels so dry that the ground is literally cracking beneath your feet. Everybody knows that. Everybody knows that though we are living in an era that has already seen and celebrated the resurrection, there's still a a Las Vegas and what happens here stays here, kind of a marketing campaign. And maybe more closer to home, maybe you experience in your day-to-day life this kind of feeling, like where is God? Where is the help of God? We are the church who are saying right out loud, I know I know sometimes it, feel like, it feels like God is absent and it feels like it's so dry that the wind, that the ground is cracking beneath your feet. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you, someday there'll be a flood and most importantly, it's already raining somewhere. It's already raining somewhere. And we gather each week to try to figure out where the rain is and how we can go dance around in it. I love the question that Britt asked you last week, and I'm gonna ask you again because it was so good. It's raining somewhere. The question is, are you getting wet? Have you figured out how to be so invested and involved in your faith that even though it might feel like that the ground is cracking beneath your feet, you know where to go find the rain and participate in the rain, which again is representative of the presence of God that reorganizes that refreshes and restores and brings life in a particular kind of order. Yes, there are still Las Vegases out there. Yes, there was for Paul, the Roman Empire. Yes, there are still places where it feels like we are losing. It's still, it's still gonna be some evil in the world. However, <laughs> we believe very deeply that in the cross and the resurrection, there's proof positive that we have one that we are winning and we will win with God. And all God's people said. And then when Christians live within this rainstorm, let's say, when we live within this redeemed community, we do so very differently, very differently. The first three chapters in the book of Ephesians are, are spent kind of making that theological case of the flood that has started and is coming. And then the last three chapters are all about, okay, and this is what it looks like. When it comes to your house, when it comes to your life, when it comes to your heart, this is what it all looks like. So what you have in the last couple of chapters of the book of Ephesians are line after line after line of practical application. What does it look like to live now in the rainstorm and in anticipation of the great rainstorm? If you are a note taker, that's a good one. This is what Paul is saying. Here's what it looks like now to live in the rainstorm and in anticipation of the great flood that's coming. When you are in the rainstorm, you understand the value of being subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. Paul even goes as far as to monkey with our households and say things to wives and to husbands. When you are within this new kind of kingdom, kicked off, kicked off, let's say in the resurrection, there is mutual submission. There's not power games, there's mutual submission. To children, he says, okay, obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. And then if that wasn't enough, he starts to monkey in our business affairs and says to slaves, hey, be good slaves because that's what good redeemed people are. What? Yeah, this rain that's gonna reorient everything, I meant everything. I mean even your working relationships 
We are different kinds of people because we are resurrection people wherever we find ourselves, and that includes the workplace and all God's people said. So slaves, go about being slaves in certain sorts of ways. Masters, go about being masters in certain sorts of ways. Christians, man, to be Christian is in so many places to be odd in this world. Because Christians are working very hard to leave the old but familiar power games behind and replace that entire economy of relationship with love and submission to one another. Yeah, that works until I go to work. No, it's actually supposed to work at work too. Yeah, that works until I get into such and such field which is based on power. It's really, you know, maybe God's trustworthy. And maybe we can do all of our walks of life as people who are already swimming around in what flood we can find. But for sure, there are still places like Las Vegas where we have to defend and protect. This is why you have this language of the full armor of God. God knows, Paul knows, I know, you know, that there are still Las Vegases out there. And perhaps you will at some point go to Las Vegas. Listen, going to Las Vegas does not make you immoral, right? Doesn't. But I hope if you go, you go with armor to protect your citizenship in this new, very wet sort of kingdom. Make sense? Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against what happens here, stays here. And this is where this verse fits now. Because our struggle is not against other people. There's no mileage in you identifying your enemies and then going after them. Trust me, I've contemplated it recently. (laughs) There's no mileage in it. Our struggle is against something else. Our struggle is against whatever it is that's in the oxygen out there, Dr. Green. Whatever it is that's out there in the oxygen that causes people to actually live into this ugly phraseology, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Now, take on the full armor of God. Why? So that we can go out there and lay waste to all of our enemies. Amen. Well, it's actually so that you may be able to withstand on that evil day, and having done everything to stand firm. I wish I could talk Christians into leaving behind the power games, but still I can find a couple of Christians, sometimes it's the person looking back at me in the mirror, who still wants to use the very familiar weapons of power and intimidation and sheer strength to get my point across. Don't look at me like that, you're the same way. What if the armor that we would wear would not help us to be better in the intimidation game, in the power game, but what if the armor that Paul is talking about is to help us to be better at the love and mutual submission game? That is in fact the case. And so you defend and protect these gifts that we've been given as people of God, initiated and baptized into this movement. You wear this armor, not so that you can be a bigger threat 
to your flesh and blood enemies, but so that you can be a bigger threat to the cosmic powers and a real service to your flesh and blood enemies and opposites and irritants. Make sense? Stand therefore and fasten the belt of truth around your waist. What truth? Listen, if someone wants to press me, is there ultimate truth? I would say, you betcha. Have you met Jesus? Jesus is our ultimate truth. And put on the breastplate of righteousness, of right relatedness. As shoes for your feet, put on whatever will make you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. Just a quick aside, a quick reminder that peace is not for us Christians merely the absence of conflict. We have that if you two, if you and I are in a struggle and you kill me, maybe then there is the absence of conflict. I promise you, there's not peace. So put on your feet, no matter where you walk, even in Las Vegas, even where you work, put on whatever it is that helps carry the message of a unique kind of peace wherever you walk. With all of these, take the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation, I love this, and the sword of the spirit, which is not a real sword, but the word of God. Now, are we talking about scripture? I think it includes scripture, but it's more than that because the book of Ephesians wasn't scripture when that was written. It is this deep sense that God speaks and still speaks and speaks a word that can be followed and has a voice that can be followed. But that term salvation is interesting and we'll move on right after this. In other words, when you are using the language salvation, and hear me folks, hear me. In salvation, I too agree that we are being saved from something, sure. But maybe that's about all that you've heard, that when you are saved, you are saved from something. Maybe it's from an ugly eternity. Salvation, in this sense, is more than that. You are not merely saved from something. You are saved for something and saved to something. So if you go to Las Vegas... Make sure that you take this helmet of salvation with you because it's super important while you were there in Las Vegas facing a culture, and it's all in the oxygen out there that says what happens here stays here. Make sure that you've got that helmet of salvation strapped on tight so that you remember not just that you're saved from something if you've made a decision at one point, but that you are saved to something, a group of people who are all trying to be who God wants and needs for us to be and saved for something bigger than Las Vegas. Paul himself was in a spot. We think he was in prison. Imprisoned by an occupying power that was going to do him some significant damage. But he recognized in that moment, though he was in the midst of cosmic forces of evil, he recognizes that in the Roman Empire, he was up against the principalities and the powers. 
he recognizes, too, that he is intimidated by all of the above, and so he says to his people, pray for me, so that when I speak, a message may be given to me to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it boldly, I love this, as I must speak. Man, what if we prayed this prayer for one another? What if this became a regular part of our praying for one another? How about this? Would you pray this for me? Would you pray this for me? That I would, in any and every situation, have just enough help to be able to speak faithfully and truthfully, no matter the audience. I found a story this week that I, sadly, I was unaware of, and uh, it's a beautiful story. Toward the end of the Second World War, after Germany had completely occupied France, there was a pastor who was running a school, Andre Trocme. And Andre Trocme and his wife Magda decided, seeing the cosmic forces of evil around them, decided that they would gird up with all of this armor that you've heard me talk about today, decided that they would gird up with all this armor and that they would be a very wet place in the midst of a very dry culture. And so what they did was they took in all of these Jewish kids that they could, enrolled them into their boarding schools, and in so doing, over a period of time, protected and salvaged thousands of them who would have otherwise been deported at best and at worst would have found their ways to concentration camps. But this pastor and his wife and his associates all participated in this dry, arid area that seemed to be uh, where, the, where the presence of God seemed to be profoundly absent. They insisted, no, it's raining somewhere. In fact, it's raining right here. And we will, because of and armed with the presence of God, we will be a flooded place and we will do all that we can to bring as many people as we can with us, protecting these folks along the way. It's an amazing thing. Here's a, now you're gonna have to read fast, but here's a little video that goes along with it. He was asked, give me a list of the Jews in your care. And he said, I don't know what a Jew is. I just know people.
Part of what fascinates me is that this pastor's passion and calling became the school's passion and calling. And if you caught it, it became the town's passion and calling. In other words, they function beautifully as a church. They function beautifully as a church. We are the people who can find the flood. We are the people who can be standing in arid places and still point you to where it's already raining. Beyond that, we are the people who make sure that we get as many people into the rain as possible. It's my favorite quote. The responsibility of Christians is to resist the violence that will be brought to bear on their consciences. How? Through the weapons of the Spirit. So, I need to ask us the same question that Britt asked. Are you getting wet? I'll ask you a further question this week. Who around you is getting wet because of you? <laughs> Are you guiding other people into this life-giving, life-reorganizing, restoring flood water? Faith here, salvation here is both personal and individual, but because of passages like this and the testimony of Scripture and the words of Jesus himself, it is not just personal and individual. We understand ourselves to be a part of the means whereby God is going to remarry heaven and earth, part of the means whereby God has already begun the process of making all things new. All of the pronouns in this passage of scripture, every single one, is plural, meaning, meaning, it's us. In fact, translated into Oki, they should have been translated all y'all. Right, Ellen? <laughs> all y'all. What you do as a Christian is for sure personal. You will come, hopefully, to this table personally, but what you do is never limited to the realm of the personal or the private. We are the people of God 
and we participate in the mission of God as individuals, but as a body that moves around a lot like a school of fish. So if you go to Las Vegas, if you have some reason to go to Las Vegas anytime soon, please keep in mind that you have been claimed. Please keep in mind that though you may fly out there and rent a car and go out there totally by yourself, that you are not by yourself. Please keep in mind that wherever I go and wherever you go, we are the folks who are always pointing to the rain and participating in the rain because we are living with this deep conviction that God has won, is winning, and will win even in and through me and us right here and right now. We come to the table each week, and if you're helping us, why don't you go ahead and head this way. We come to the table each week to be reminded and resourced that we are the people, that we are the people of God and not merely the person of God. We are the people of God. Heavenly Father, bless these elements and remind us as we partake, as we eat and drink, remind us, God, that we are part of something much bigger than ourselves. Remind us, God, that we are a part of a people who have this mission to partner with you to bring about the restoration and the redemption of all things. God, may there be something in us that's a whole lot like Andre Trockme. May we be able to look around and see what you see and see how it is that we might put on this full armor and be a means of grace and help and hope to the people around us. God, my prayer also is that you would encourage and nudge and coax somebody today to put on the full armor who's never had it on before. Initiate, adopt into this family others who have wondered whether or not they would ever find their place. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet and exit your pew to the left and to come forward with your hands cupped. You will come forward approaching a person with a plate of bread. As you get closer, you'll recognize that that person is snapping off a piece of bread so that he or she can press it into your hands and say to you, this is the body of Christ broken for you. We're all having the same bread here today because we're all part of the same body. Don't eat the bread just yet. Take that piece of bread and dip it into the cup. Someone standing right there will be holding a cup. When you do, that person will look you in the eye and say, and this is the blood of Christ shed for you, and then take and eat. And then I hope you'll find a place to pray. Lots of options for you then. If you have a need for a prayer for healing, if you'll come to one of these side padded altars, then someone will meet you there and pray that prayer for healing and anoint you with oil. Oil representative of the clingy, sticky presence of God that will move with you throughout your week. If you come to one of these kneeling benches, these mourner's benches up front, we won't assume anything, but we will at some point join you. Somebody from the church, maybe me, maybe somebody else will come by and touch you on the head, the neck, the shoulder, just to remind you that you are not alone.
Or you can circle right back around and sit right back down in your pew, same spot, and pray. But wherever you decide to pray, I hope that you will pray. And I hope that at some point you'll pray this prayer. God, show me the rain. Show me the rain and show me how I can participate in helping others to see and experience the rain. Who is allowed to participate in this meal? Each and every one of you who understand your need for grace are today and will every day be welcomed at this table. If you know your need for grace, it doesn't matter what has happened earlier today. If you know your need for grace, you're welcome at the table. And if you can't come to us, then Jason and Katie will come to you. If you'd like, you can make a special trip down here. You've seen three baptisms today, but maybe you just need to be jolted into the memory of your own baptism. That's what this little bowl of water is for. Just dip your fingers into this water and may the chill of the water remind you of the moment of your baptism when you were not just saved from something, but saved into something, saved for something. It was on the night that he was betrayed that our Savior took bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you, and every time you eat of it, remember me. Later on, he took the cup and he held it up before them and said, and this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant, and every time you drink of it, remember me. And all across the sanctuary now, if you would, stand to your feet, exit your pews to the left, and then come forward to receive these gifts of God meant for the people of God.